4: Previously on the report.
5: The defendants allegedly conducted what they called information warfare against the United
2: States.
4: The intelligence community calls it active measures.
2: We were dry tinder. with was something that was really easy for them to stoke.
3: That clearly stated uh, that the Russian government was in fact behind the interference operations that we were seeing at the time.
6: So this is an arms race. I mean, they're going to keep on getting better at this.
3: by saying thank you to all of you across the country who have volunteered your time. You have voted to make Hillary Clinton the nominee of the Democratic Party. This is your victory.
4: It's July 2016. John Podesta is running a presidential campaign. It's going well. His candidate is about to clinch the Democratic Party nomination. But let's go back to several months before all of this, back to March 2016. Podesta is sitting at his computer. He opens an email. It says something is wrong with his password. It looks a little fishy, but IT says it's legit. And so, he clicks. He follows the prompt to input his old password and resets a new one. And just like that, Hackers from a Russian military intelligence unit are in. It barely takes a minute. One click and a few keystrokes. And there is no going back. This is The Report, Episode 2, Hack, Dump, Divide. While the IRA was busy pushing out tweets and memes, a Russian military intelligence unit was up to something a bit more aggressive in the lead up to the 2016 election, hacking into computers and stealing thousands of documents, documents they would later release in an effort to help Donald Trump and to harm his opponent, Hillary Clinton. On July 24th, 2019, Robert Mueller appears before the House Intelligence Committee to testify about the special counsel's report. Congressman Jim Himes has questions.
3: Director Mueller, this attack on our democracy involved, as you said, two operations. First, a social media disinformation campaign. This was a targeted campaign to spread false information on places like Twitter and Facebook, is that correct? That's correct. The second operation in the Russian attack was a scheme, what we call the, the hack and dump, to steal and release hundreds of thousands of emails from the Democratic Party in the Clinton campaign. Is that a fair summary? That is. Did your investigation find that the releases of the hacked emails were strategically timed to maximize impact on the election? I'd have to refer you to uh, our report uh, on that question. Page 36, I quote, the release of the documents was designed in time to interfere with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Mr. Mueller, which presidential candidate Was Russia's hacking and dumping operation designed to benefit Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump?
0: Mr. Trump.
4: Here's Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein announcing another round of indictments on July 13, 2018.
5: Today, a grand jury in the District of Columbia returned an indictment presented by the special counsel's office. The indictment charges 12 Russian military officers by name For conspiring to interfere with the 2016 presidential election according to the allegations in the indictment the defendants worked for two units of the main intelligence directorate of the russian general staff known as the gru the units engaged in active cyber operations to interfere in the 2016 presidential election
4: you probably already know the broad outlines of this story the russians hacked the democratic national committee the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, usually called the DCCC, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta, and others. They stole documents and emails and then released them publicly, first on their own and then through WikiLeaks. But the Mueller report offers a far more detailed story of the Russian hacking and leaking operation and the Trump campaign's engagement with it. Unlike the IRA, which was run by contractors, the GRU is part of the Russian government. And while the IRA operation was an effort broadly to inflame divisions in the U.S. and to help Trump, the GRU conducted targeted strikes. And those strikes turned out to be extremely effective ones. Thomas Ridd is a professor at Johns Hopkins.
0: We know that military intelligence, GRU, was engaged in hacking, stealing information from various different Democratic targets and a few Republican targets as well, and then leaked that information first through dedicated websites um, and and accounts, and then through WikiLeaks. The GRU hacking and leaking operation, in my my analysis, was by far the most significant uh, component of the Russian election interference.
4: Here again is my colleague Benjamin Wittes, just like in episode one and throughout this series. He'll be reading from, and in some cases paraphrasing or summarizing, the actual text of the Mueller report. You'll also hear the music playing now to know you're hearing the report.
2: Two military units of the GRU carried out the computer intrusions into the Clinton campaign, the DNC, and the DCCC. Military Unit 26165 is a GRU cyber unit dedicated to targeting military, political, governmental and non-governmental organizations outside of Russia, including in the United States. The unit was subdivided into departments with different specialties. Military unit 74455 is a related GRU unit with multiple departments that engaged in cyber operations.
4: Here's a secret about the GRU. They may have been effective in stealing documents, but their hacking wasn't especially talented as a technical matter. And they were outright lousy when it came to covering their tracks. The GRU made mistakes when hacking US political targets, even as early as 2015. One mistake came when they used a URL shortening service to generate the malicious links used to spearfish.
0: Um, For every single email, including the one that John Podesta received, there was a short link that people had to click um, in order to get to the actual fake login site to to these Gmail accounts. And these short links um, were created automatically by GRU. An officer, uh, Lukashev was his name in this case, created this, these uh, short links in an automated, you know, programmed way, tens of thousands of them. And for a number of accounts that he used to do that, because if you do it automatically, you need an account, he forgot to set the settings on private.
4: Officer Lukashev forgot to set his URL shortener to private. And so analysts were able to reconstruct not just that Podesta was hacked using the link, but every other person who was targeted using the same link as well. Here's Ben Buchanan, a professor at Georgetown University and the author of the forthcoming book, The Hacker and the State.
6: For those who are following carefully, there really was no doubt in the summer of 2016 that this was a Russian operation, and all the technical indicators pointed to that. One of the things that's striking about Our modern era is that we've got a lot of really talented investigators and analysts who don't work for the government, but who know how to observe and uncover things that are happening in the world of cyber operations.
4: Here's the thing. The GRU was not the only Russian intelligence operation to penetrate Democratic-affiliated servers. It turns out that a different Russian security service, the FSB, had gotten there first. The GRU is a military intelligence agency, while the FSB, the Federal Security Service, is more of a traditional spy agency like the CIA.
6: The first thing the Russian government did uh, in 2015 was something that nations have done for a long time, and that's spy on the future political leaders of their adversaries. The United States has done this. Russia has done this. This is a tried and true tactic uh, of intelligence agencies all over the world. And in 2015, a Russian, uh, single, a Russian intelligence agency known as the FSB uh, made entry, hacked into the Democratic National Committee networks, and started uh, spying on a variety of Democratic targets.
4: How did the Russians get in? It wasn't rocket science. It was just tricking someone into clicking a link.
2: The GRU spearfishing operation enabled it to gain access to numerous email accounts of Clinton campaign volunteers and employees, including campaign chairman John Podesta, junior volunteers assigned to the Clinton campaign's advance team, informal Clinton campaign advisors, and a DNC employee. GRU officers stole tens of thousands of emails from spearfishing victims, including various Clinton campaign-related communications. The GRU deploys this tactic known as spear phishing,
6: which has one of two goals. Either getting the target to run malicious code on their computer so the GRU has access, or getting the target to turn over their password so that the GRU can get into their account. In 2016, this is what we see the GRU do against really big names in the Democratic Party, most notably the Clinton campaign chairman, John Podesta. The GRU sends him an email pretending to look like Google, and the GRU says... Something to the effect of um, someone is trying to use your password to sign into your Google account, um, Google has stopped this, you should change your password right away. And they helpfully offer John Podesta a password change page. The reports are that John Podesta then sends this to a campaign aide of some kind, uh, technical aide. The campaign aide write- writes back, this is a legitimate email, John should change his password imedi- immediately. The campaign aide later says he meant to say this was not a legitimate email. If that is in fact what the campaign aid was, was meant to say, this was not a legitimate email. This is one very expensive typo uh, for the Democratic Party. What Podesta does is he changes his password using, it seems, the form the Russians helpfully provided, and in so doing, he turns over um, his current password, his actual password, uh, to the GRU, which then can access his email account. All of this happens in March of uh, 2016, and uh, the GRU gets into his email account. They access, it seems, more than 50,000 emails, which they copy to their own computers somewhere around March 21st
2: of 2016.
4: But the Russians are doing a lot more than just spearfishing Podesta.
2: GRU officers sent hundreds of spear emails to the work and personal email accounts of Clinton campaign employees and volunteers. Between March 10, 2016 and March 15, 2016, Unit 26165 appears to have sent approximately 90 spear-phishing emails to email accounts at HillaryClinton.com. Starting on March 15, 2016, the GRU began targeting Google email accounts used by Clinton campaign employees, along with a smaller number of DNC.org email accounts. Beginning in mid-March 2016, Unit 26165 had primary responsibility for hacking the DCCC and DNC, as well as email accounts of individuals affiliated with the Clinton campaign.
4: How deeply did they compromise Democratic Party systems? Ben Buchanan explains.
6: The DCCC is a Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee that helps elect Democrats to Congress. They got access um, to this network using the password of a DCCC employee that they had obtained through spear phishing. And once they're inside this network, they do something they've done for a long time, which is they install a piece of malicious code that the cybersecurity research community calls X-Agent. And X-Agent is a really powerful piece of code that the GRU has used and evolved for a while, Um, You can gather documents off the network. Once you deploy it, you can harvest passwords. You can track individual targets within the network. Now they've joined the FSB, the other intelligence agency that's been there for a substantial period of time, and they have their presence in the DNC network.
4: But the GRU isn't just there to watch and learn. They're stealing the documents, too.
2: Officers from Unit 26165 stole thousands of documents from the DCCC and DNC networks, including significant amounts of data pertaining to the 2016 U.S. federal elections. On April 25, 2016, the GRU collected and compressed PDF and Microsoft documents from folders on the DCCC's shared file server that pertained to the 2016 election. The GRU also stole documents from the DNC network shortly after gaining access. On April 22, 2016, the GRU copied files from the DNC network to GRU-controlled computers. Stolen documents included the DNC's opposition research into candidate Trump.
4: Laura Rosenberger was a foreign policy advisor on the Clinton campaign at the time of the release. The DNC
1: was hacked, the DCCC was hacked, and then certain campaign advisors' personal emails, were hacked. The campaign itself was actually never hacked. Um, but all that being said, the effect was that, um, that materials related to the campaign and otherwise were hacked. The target surface in a campaign environment is large. Because you have a lot of people who are involved, some of whom are centrally involved, some of whom are peripherally involved, some of whom are paid on the campaign, some of whom are not paid on the campaign, some of whom may not actually have official campaign email addresses, right? Some of whom may not have um, IT support in a, in a central way.
6: Well, by then, the FSB and the GRU have gathered a lot of information from the DNC networks. And one of the things that's universally true uh, in watching decades of advanced hacking is once information is stolen, it's stolen. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's pretty hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube at that point. So the DNC makes a series of cybersecurity upgrades in the late spring of 2016. And those are, I think it's fair to say, uniformly too late at stopping the harm of of what the Russians were preparing to do because the Russians already had what they needed.
4: So far, the Russian operation has been pretty conventional. Countries spy... They spy on each other's governments. They spy on each other's political parties. And if the GRU had merely stolen thousands and thousands of Democratic emails, we probably wouldn't be talking about Russian hacking as a distinctive feature of interference in the U.S. election. But at some point, the Russians made a fateful choice. They decide they are going to publicly release the material.
2: The GRU's operations extended beyond stealing materials and included releasing documents stolen from the Clinton campaign and its supporters. The GRU carried out the anonymous release through two fictitious online personas that it created, DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0, and later through the organization WikiLeaks.
4: It isn't clear exactly when the GRU decided that they were going to leak these documents. Maybe not when they first infiltrated the various networks, but it was early.
6: So one of the things that people don't often appreciate about the Russian activity in 2016 is how early they decided that they wanted to to run an election leaks campaign. And as early as April of 2016, the Russians start registering uh, domain names, essentially internet addresses, that um, suggest they're looking for leaks. They're not just out for espionage. And they first try to register... A domain name called Election Leaks. Um, Essentially they lose control of that domain after a week and they move to their second choice of domain name DC Leaks. But it probably is fair to say that this was uh, the vehicle early on that the Russians had planned to use to leak the information.
2: The DCLeaks.com landing page pointed to different tranches of stolen documents arranged by victim or subject matter. Other DCLeaks.com pages contained indexes of the stolen emails that were being released bearing the sender, recipient, and date of the email. To control access and the timing of releases, pages were sometimes password protected for a period of time and later made unrestricted to the public. Starting in June 2016, the GRU posted stolen documents onto the website DCLeaks.com These documents appear to have originated from personal email accounts rather than the DNC and DCCC computer networks. The GRU released thousands of documents including personal identifying and financial information, internal correspondence related to the Clinton campaign and prior political jobs, and fundraising files and information.
4: The GRU ran a DC Leaks Facebook page, a Twitter account, and they had set up a Gmail address to communicate with reporters.
2: GRU officers using the DCLeaks persona gave certain reporters early access to archives of leaked files by sending them links and passwords to pages on the DCLeaks.com website that had not yet become public. For example, on July 14, 2016, GRU officers operating under the D.C. Leaks persona sent a link and password for a non-public D.C. Leaks webpage to a U.S. reporter via the Facebook account.
4: Things were going well for the Russians, but a U.S. cybersecurity company called CrowdStrike was about to throw a wrench in their plans.
3: The CIA and other U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded the Russian government was behind the email hack into the Democratic National Committee and other political organizations, but have yet to produce their evidence publicly. Today, the private cybersecurity company that first uncovered the DNC hack unveiled new details that they claim confirm the Russian military intelligence service was behind the computer breach.
6: So when the Democrats realize that they've been hacked, they go to CrowdStrike, one of these well-known cybersecurity companies, and they contract with CrowdStrike to do the incident response and to uh, basically help kick the Russians out of their network. CrowdStrike, as best we can tell, does this. And then the Democrats and CrowdStrike do something that historically is a little bit unusual. While historically many victims of breaches try not to talk about them, try to sweep it under the rug, the Democrats in a discussion with the Washington Post and then in a CrowdStrike blog post on their website talk about the breach. And they say quite clearly, this was Russia that did it. We have been the victim of a Russian cyber operation.
4: The Russians seem to be caught off guard by this development.
6: We don't know exactly what the GRU was thinking, but it wouldn't surprise me if this set them back on their heels a little bit. There certainly was some precedent for uh, agencies in the United States government, like the Department of Justice, to call out and indict hackers before. It's not entirely unprecedented for a hacking operation to come to light with the victim saying, this is what happened and this is who did it. That said, I would be surprised if the GRU expected that the Democrats in CrowdStrike would do this. And so it's mid-June 2016 and the GRU has to figure out how are they going to respond to this accusation that's been leveled against them.
4: The GRU has to figure out what to do. And so they hastily formulate a cover story In the guise of a new persona.
6: Very quickly after the accusation is made in the Washington Post and on CrowdStrike's website, the GRU spins up uh, a fake online profile called Guccifer 2.0. And Guccifer 1.0, or just Guccifer, was a well-known Romanian hacker imprisoned at the time, I believe. And the GRU tries to suggest that it was some successor to him, the 2.0 version of him, who was also a Romanian, who carried out this operation against the Democratic National Committee and other Democratic targets, with no support from Russia, entirely acting as a lone wolf. And they suggest that CrowdStrike and the DNC have it wrong in their attribution.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: On June 14, 2016, the DNC and its cyber response team announced the breach of the DNC network and suspected theft of DNC documents. In the statements... The cyber response team alleged that the Russian state-sponsored actors, which they referred to as Fancy Bear, were responsible for the breach. Apparently in response to that announcement, on June 15, 2016, GRU officers using the persona Guccifer 2.0 created a WordPress blog. In the hours leading up to the launch of that WordPress blog, GRU officers logged into a Moscow-based server used and managed by Unit 74-455, and searched for a number of specific words and phrases in English, including "some hundred sheets," "illuminati," and "worldwide known." Approximately two hours after the last of those searches, Guccifer 2.0 published its first post, attributing the DNC server hack to a lone Romanian hacker and using several of the unique English words and phrases that the GRU officers had searched for that day. That same day, June 15, 2016, the GRU also used the Guccifer 2.0 WordPress blog to begin releasing to the public documents stolen from the DNC and DCCC computer networks. The Guccifer 2.0 persona ultimately released thousands of documents stolen from the DNC and DCCC in a series of blog posts between June 15, 2016 and October 18, 2016. Released documents included opposition research performed by the DNC, internal policy documents, analyses of specific congressional races, and fundraising documents. I don't think anyone buys it to begin with.
6: Um, but the cover story quickly falls apart through a variety of mechanisms, um, one of which is that a, a really talented journalist at Motherboard reaches out to uh, Guccifer and tries to talk to him in Romanian, and it becomes quite clear that Guccifer does not speak uh, Romanian. So the, the story starts to fall apart.
4: The fact no one believes it's a lone Romanian hacker doesn't slow Gucifer 2.0 down.
2: Beginning in late 2016, the GRU used the Guccifer 2.0 persona to release documents directly to reporters and other interested individuals. Specifically, on June 27, 2016, Guccifer 2.0 sent an email to the news outlet The Smoking Gun offering to provide, quote, exclusive access to some leaked emails linked to Hillary Clinton's staff, unquote. The GRU later sent the reporter a password and link to a locked portion of the DCLeaks.com website that contained an archive of emails stolen by Unit 26165 from a Clinton campaign volunteer in March 2016. That the Guccifer 2.0 persona provided reporters access to a restricted portion of the DCLeaks website tends to indicate that both personas were operated by the same or a closely related group of people. The GRU continued its release efforts through Guccifer 2.0 into August 2016. For example on August 15, 2016 the Guccifer 2.0 persona sent a candidate for the US Congress documents related to the candidates opponents. On August 22nd, 2016, the Guccifer 2.0 persona transferred approximately 2.5 gigabytes of Florida-related data stolen from the DCCC to a U.S. blogger covering Florida politics.
4: The Russians had shown a dramatic proof of concept. But they knew that if they wanted to generate a lot of attention for big troves of leaked material, They needed an agent. For that kind of thing, there's only one place to go. WikiLeaks.
3: Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks and the man some see
4: as a hero and others have described as the most dangerous man in the world.
5: Well, reporters that don't have new information to some degree have nothing useful to say.
6: Just a few months ago, most people had never heard of a website called WikiLeaks or of its mysterious and eccentric founder, Julian Assange.
0: The United States says it strongly condemns WikiLeaks' release of classified documents. He spent seven years holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London and is now in the city's...
4: Here's another exchange from Mueller's testimony on July 24th. Congressman Mike Quigley has questions about WikiLeaks.
2: Director Pompeo assessed WikiLeaks in one point as a hostile intelligence service. Uh, given your law enforcement experience and your knowledge of what WikiLeaks did here and what they do generally, would you assess that to be accurate or something similar? How would you assess uh, but, what WikiLeaks does?
3: Uh, absolutely, and they uh, are currently under indictment. Uh, it's Assange. But, uh,
2: would it be? Fair to describe them as you would agree with Mr. Director Pompeo. That's when he, what he was when he made that remark, that it's a hostile intelligence service. Correct. Yes. WikiLeaks and particularly its founder Julian Assange privately expressed opposition to candidate Clinton well before the release of the first stolen documents in November 2015. Assange wrote to other members and associates of WikiLeaks that, quote, we believe it would be much better for GOP to win. With Hillary in charge, GOP will be pushing for her worst qualities. Dems plus media plus neoliberals will be mute. She's a bright, well-connected, sadistic sociopath, unquote. In March 2016, WikiLeaks released a searchable archive of approximately 30,000 Clinton emails that had been obtained through FOIA litigation. While designing the archive, one WikiLeaks member explained the reason for building the archive to another associate. We want this repository to become the place to search for background on Hillary's plotting at the State Department, firstly because it's useful and will annoy Hillary, but secondly because we want to be seen as a resource slash player in the U.S. election because it may encourage people to send us even more important leaks.
4: And that's exactly what the Russians did.
2: In order to expand its interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election the GRU units transferred many of the documents they stole from the DNC and the chairman of the Clinton campaign to WikiLeaks. GRU officers use both the DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0 personas to communicate with WikiLeaks through Twitter private messaging and through encrypted channels, possibly including through WikiLeaks's private communication system.
4: The precise timeline here is still fuzzy, according to Ben Buchanan.
6: One of the mysteries that at least I don't know the answer to when it comes to thinking about the activities in 2016 is how early WikiLeaks got involved. We know with certainty that on June 12th, Julian Assange, the founder, the director of WikiLeaks, starts bragging and suggesting that he will have explosive Democratic emails. And June 12th is an important date here because it's before the Democrats and CrowdStrike go public uh, to say that the Russians had hacked into their emails. And one of the things we don't know is was Assange making things up? Did he have a guess as to what was coming? Did he know what was coming? And the Mueller report is a little bit unclear uh, on when the first contact was between the GRU and WikiLeaks. When Guccifer comes online a few days later, Guccifer says, I gave a lot of these files to WikiLeaks. So there's a, there's a strong suggestion from the very beginning of the Guccifer persona that he is going to give the files to WikiLeaks and WikiLeaks is going to dump them. But we already know prior to that, that WikiLeaks had an interest in something like this, and Assange was saying publicly that he was going to be releasing them soon.
2: Shortly after the GRU's first release of stolen documents through dcleaks.com in June 2016, GRU officers also used the DCLeaks persona to contact WikiLeaks about possible coordination in the future release of stolen emails. Around the same time, Wikileaks initiated communication with the GRU persona, Guccifer 2.0, shortly after it was used to release documents stolen from the DNC. On June 22, 2016, Seven days after Guccifer 2.0's first releases of stolen DNC documents, WikiLeaks used Twitter's direct message function to contact the Guccifer 2.0 Twitter account and suggest that Guccifer 2.0, quote, send any new materials stolen from the DNC here to us to review and it will have a much higher impact than what you're doing, unquote.
6: One of the things that's striking here is that WikiLeaks um, starts talking to the GRU not just through one channel, it seems, but actually through two channels. And whether Assange knew he was talking to the GRU in both cases, we don't know. But he's talking to the GRU through the Guccifer, uh persona and also through the DC Leaks persona. And in both cases, he is saying, do you have any new material? We're the outlet you want to leak it to. Don't you have some stuff that you can,
2: you can share with us? On July 6th, 2016, WikiLeaks again contacted Guccifer 2.0 through Twitter's private messaging function, writing, if you have anything Hillary related, we want it in the next two days because the DNC is approaching and she will solidify Bernie supporters behind her after, unquote. The Guccifer 2.0 persona responded, OK, I see. WikiLeaks also explained, quote, we think Trump has only a 25% chance of winning against Hillary. So conflict between Bernie and Hillary is interesting, unquote. Assange
6: is trying to create some urgency. He is trying to say to the GRU, look, time is of the essence here. If you've got this material, we're the ones you want to give it to and you want to give it to us quickly. And the reason why is that there's a big event coming up in July of 2016. And that event is a Democratic National Convention where Hillary Clinton is going to be the nominee for president.
2: Both the GRU and WikiLeaks sought to hide their communications, which has limited the office's ability to collect all of the communications between them.
4: The special counsel's office wasn't able to establish for certain the manner in which the GRU got the hacked documents to WikiLeaks. There's some evidence of an electronic transfer. One email subject line between them reads, quote, Big Archive, for example. But the Mueller report says it can't rule out an in-person transfer. What is clear is that the hacked materials that were released by WikiLeaks in July, October, and November 2016 came from the GRU.
2: On July 18, 2016, Wikileaks confirmed in a direct message to the Guccifer 2.0 account that it had, quote, the one gigabyte or so archive, unquote, and would make a release of the stolen documents this week. On July 22, 2016, Wikileaks released over 20,000 emails and other documents stolen from the DNC computer networks, the Democratic National Convention, began three days later.
3: We have new details now on that email hack at the DNC this morning. The latest emails released by WikiLeaks suggest that top officials at the Democratic National Committee plan to undermine Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign.
0: Hillary Clinton's presidential ambitions have an Achilles heel.
3: Donald Trump tonight seizing on a controversy brewing for Democrats after thousands of leaked emails showed Democratic party officials possibly plotting against Bernie Sanders in his race against Hillary Clinton.
4: The leak was timed to create pandemonium, and it did. The leaks made the story surrounding the convention be one about internal divisions and perceived unfairness to Clinton challenger Bernie Sanders. Within days, DNC Chairwoman Debbie Watzerman Schultz had resigned from her position. Here's Laura Rosenberger, the Clinton foreign policy advisor. Right
1: before the convention was when we saw the first release from WikiLeaks of materials that had been hacked from the DNC and the DCCC. And, uh, you know, this had followed a a long and hard fought primary between um, Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders. The convention was very much about consolidating support for the Democratic nominee. And the effect of those materials being released by WikiLeaks three days before the beginning of the convention was really um, to stoke division within the party and to undermine public confidence in the process that had led up to the uh, up to the nomination uh, was to undermine support for her and and her positions and it was really to distract from what was supposed to be a really high point in uh, you know in the Democratic nominating process um, here we had the first female candidate Candidate, female nominee of a major political party for president. Um, this should have been a high watermark for Democrats, and instead, Democrats went into the convention quite divided.
2: Beginning on September 20th, 2016, WikiLeaks and DCLeaks resumed communications in a brief exchange. On September 22nd, 2016, a DCLeaks email account sent an email to a WikiLeaks account with the subject "Submission." and the message, hi, from DCLeaks. The email contained a PGP encrypted file. The email bears a number of similarities to the June 14, 2016 email in which GRU officers used the Guccifer 2.0 persona to give WikiLeaks access to the archive of DNC files. On September 22, 2016, the Twitter account DC Leaks sent a single message to WikiLeaks with a string of characters.
4: It's July 27, 2016. Candidate Trump is at a campaign rally when he says this.
2: Russia, if you're listening,
0: I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press.
4: Back to Mueller's testimony. Congressman Peter Welsh questions Mueller about that comment.
3: Uh, And you found in your investigation that on July 27th, uh, candidate Trump called on Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's email, something that for the first time they did about five hours later, correct? That's correct.
2: The 30,000 emails were apparently a reference to emails described in media accounts as having been stored on a personal server that candidate Clinton had used while serving as secretary of state. Within approximately five hours of Trump's statement, GRU officers targeted for the first time Clinton's personal office. After candidate Trump's remarks, Unit 26165 created and sent malicious links targeting 15 email accounts, including an email account belonging to a Clinton aide. The investigation did not find evidence of earlier GRU attempts to compromise accounts hosted on this domain. It is unclear how the GRU was able to identify these email accounts, which were not public.
4: Buchanan says the timing is suspicious.
2: This is
6: an indication that, A, the Russians are tracking what happens in the campaign reasonably seriously. It probably is not a coincidence. And, B, uh, that the Russian interest goes well beyond just organizations like the DCCC and the DNC, but to the Clinton campaign, to senior people in the Clinton campaign.
4: Then, on October 7th, the Washington Post releases the Access Hollywood tape. On it, Donald Trump can be heard making lewd comments about women, captured by a hot microphone years earlier. With the time to campaign winding down, this new inappropriate video may hurt the Republican candidate's
1: chances.
3: And hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy.
1: Mode following a troubling story broken by the
3: Washington Post today. Some of the party's biggest names are now on record opposing Trump. But over the weekend, 50 different Republican lawmakers have come out and said that uh, they're just not going to support Donald Trump.
4: Within hours, WikiLeaks begins to dump Podesta's emails.
2: On October 7th, 2016, WikiLeaks released the first emails stolen from the Podesta email account. In total, WikiLeaks released 33 tranches of stolen emails between October 7, 2016 and November 7, 2016. The releases included private speeches given by Clinton, internal communications between Podesta and other high-ranking members of the Clinton campaign, and correspondence related to the Clinton Foundation. In total, WikiLeaks released over 50,000 documents stolen from Podesta's personal email account.
4: Here's Laura Rosenberger.
1: October 7, 2016 is a day that many of us from the campaign remember moment by moment um, in in great detail. First thing that really sticks out to me that, that day was at 3 p.m., the intelligence community and the Department of Homeland Security released a statement. That uh, it was a very short two paragraph statement that confirmed the assessment that Russia was attempting to interfere in our election, that uh, Russian entities were responsible for the hack of the DNC um, and of the uh, DCCC, that this was an effort ordered at the highest level of the Russian government. Um, And that statement also indicated that there had been breaches on several state election systems and it didn't actually point the finger at a particular country, but it made clear that there was significant concern about cyber activities targeting state election systems. So the campaign had actually been hoping for something like this for quite some time. We had been jumping up and down, trying to draw attention to what was very clear to us were Russian attacks on our democracy. Um, and this was the first real confirmation from the U.S. government in a very significant and very pointed way. Um, that was at three o'clock. Um, at 4.02, the Access Hollywood tape posts um, from the Washington Post. And um, the story very quickly begins to bifurcate into these two stories, right? You have the story about um, oh my gosh, the US government's confirming that Russia's trying to interfere in our election. And then you have the Access Hollywood tape um, really uh, you know, coming down um, in, you know, to, to a lot of alarm about Donald Trump's uh, behavior on that tape. So two stories that aren't particularly good for Donald Trump. Half an hour later, just after 4.30, we saw the first releases from WikiLeaks of emails from John Podesta's accounts.
4: As reports attributing the DNC and DCCC hacks to the Russian government became public, WikiLeaks and Julian Assange began publicly lying about the source of the documents, including suggesting that they came from a DNC staffer named Seth Rich, who had been murdered in a robbery
5: gone wrong. Our whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old uh, works for the DNC, who was shot in the back, murdered uh, just two weeks ago uh, for un- unknown reasons as he was walking down the street in Washington? So
0: that was that was just a robbery, I believe,
5: wasn't it? No, there's no finding. So, uh, what are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that our sources uh, take risks and they are they become concerned uh, to see things occurring uh, like that. But was he one uh, of your
0: sources then? I mean.
5: We don't comment on who our sources are. why make the suggestion?
4: None of that was true, though conspiracies about Rich were fueled by the right-wing media, including Fox News, for years. The Russians weren't just after some email accounts of people associated with the Clinton campaign and the DNC. They also targeted individuals and entities involved in the administering of U.S. elections.
2: Victims included U.S. state and local entities, such as state board of elections, secretaries of state, and county governments, as well as individuals who worked for those entities. The GRU also targeted private technology firms responsible for manufacturing and administering election-related software and hardware, such as voter registration software and electronic polling stations. The GRU continued to target these victims through the elections in November 2016. While the investigation identified evidence that the GRU targeted these individuals and entities, this office did not investigate further.
4: The special counsel's report says that they handed this particular investigation over to the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security.
2: By at least the summer of 2016, GRU officers sought access to state and local computer networks by exploiting known software vulnerabilities on websites of state and local governmental entities. GRU officers, for example, targeted state and local databases of registered voters using a technique known as SQL injection, by which malicious code was sent to the state or local website in order to run commands, such as exfiltrating the database content. In one instance, in approximately June 2016, the GRU compromised network of the Illinois State Board of Elections by exploiting a vulnerability in the election board's website. The GRU then gained access to a database containing information on millions of registered Illinois voters and extracted data related to thousands of U.S. voters before the malicious activity was identified.
6: One of the uh, common ways of storing information in a database is something called the Structured Query Language, or SQL. And SQL provides a way to access information that's stored in a database. Unfortunately, it can also be used, if poorly configured, as a way for hackers to get into those databases.
2: GRU officers search for vulnerabilities on the websites of more than two dozen states. Unit 74455, also sent spear emails to public officials involved in election administration and personnel involved in voting technology.
4: Does this mean the Russians actually changed the vote count? Buchanan says not so fast.
6: There's no evidence that the Russians changed votes in 2016. I always distinguish, in talking about election interference, between operations that target votes, changing the votes, and operations that target voters. And I think it's fair to say most of the Russian activity, at least that we have observed in 2016, targets voters, Americans themselves, who will go to the polling place and cast their own ballot, as opposed to targeting votes and infrastructure, election infrastructure. That said, there is some indication uh, that they had targeted election infrastructure um, in various states, uh, Florida being one example a particular vendor in Florida, and potentially in some other states as well. I think it's fair to say we know less about this, much less about this, and any consequences of this than we know about other parts of the Russian operation.
4: The Russians are throwing lots of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. But if they've created even a seed of doubt in the American public about the integrity of U.S. elections, then that alone is a massive success. And now we come to a long-awaited section of the Mueller report the part where it answers one of the biggest questions in the Russia investigation. What did the president himself and his immediate associates know about Russian hacking and WikiLeaks' plan to release documents at the time it was all happening? And the answer in the Mueller report is mostly redacted. In the next episode, we'll get into those redactions and what we know about the answers that lie behind the blacked-out bars. It's more than you think. But we'll save the story of Roger Stone, Donald Trump, and WikiLeaks for next time.
3: Also following new developments surrounding Donald Trump
1: Jr., the president's oldest son released private messages confirming conversations that he had with the anti-secrecy website during and after the 2016 presidential campaign.
4: This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Democracy Fund, and by listeners like you. Thank you for listening to part two of The Report. The Report is a production by Lawfare and Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. Ian Enright is the executive producer. From the Lawfare team, the project is led by executive editor Susan Hennessy. Editor-in-chief is Benjamin Wittes. Managing Editor Quinta Jurassic conducted the interviews. Associate Editor Michaela Fogel did the recordings, with additional recordings by Vishnu Kanan. Voicing by Benjamin Wittes and Susan Hennessy. Special thanks to Thomas Ridd, Ben Buchanan, Laura Rosenberger, and you, the listening audience. As a programming note, we are so glad to see the report debut at number one across the charts. We hope you will continue to listen and continue sharing. To support this show, please share this podcast wherever you can. And while you're at it, please subscribe and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Our website, lawfareblog.com, is where you can learn more about Lawfare, read our work, subscribe to our newsletter, and support our mission. Until next time.
3: You're listening to Go Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us.